Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast who for the past 10 years has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. With me is one of those women, if you know what I mean. That's right, an awesome co-host, it's Lydia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> never mind what I was thinking. <laughs> Hi, Christopher, how are you? Hi, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I I went back and forth on how I was what pun and what or what I was going to do to open the show. I had some fish puns. I had some fishing puns. And in the end, I, I, I went for that. You went with that one, huh? I went with that one. That's the one I picked. Well, you know, if, if the shoe fits, if the fish fits, if the nomenclature, yes. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this month's episode. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you choose to listen, if you have the option to rate, please do so. It uh, it really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to our social media sites, as well as our YouTube channel. And you can learn how you can support the show financially. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. Let's listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will cast our nets to see what we can catch in 1930s The Silver Horde. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with a case I call The Simple Slip. A well-to-do banker was murdered and two suspects, a business associate named Waxman and a nephew, were detained for questioning. Waxman said he arrived in town after a late airplane flight and drove to the house through a driving rain. The nephew claimed Waxman burst into the house, ran to his uncle's study and shot him. I saw him holding the smoking gun myself, he claimed. I asked to see the front hall, which was immaculate. I returned and selected the murderer, the nephew. In a moment, I'll explain why. In 1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. In the case of The Simple Slip, the nephew said Waxman burst into the house and shot his uncle. Yet it had been raining heavily that night and there was no mud or water in the hall. The nephew was lying. A simple but fatal slip. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. The Silver Horde is a romantic adventure film directed by George Arkenbod and stars Joel McRae, Evelyn Brent, Gene Arthur, and Louis Wolheim. The name Silver Horde is derived from the silver salmon that the fishermen who participated in the salmon fishing industry in the Pacific Northwest during the late 19th and early 20th centuries sought to catch. The term was popularized by American author Rex Beach in his 1909 novel titled The Silver Horde. This is the second film based on Beach's novel. The first film was a 1920 silent film that was produced by Rex Beach and Samuel Goldwyn at Eminent Arthur's Pictures and was distributed by Goldwyn. 
The exteriors for this film were largely shot on location in Ketchikan, Alaska, which is the state's southeasternmost major settlement. Downtown Ketchikan is now a National Historic District. Ketchikan Creek served as a summer fish camp for natives before the town was established by Mike Martin in 1885. He was sent to the area by the Oregon Canning Company to assess prospects, and he established the Clark and Martin Saltery. Ketchikan became known as Alaska's first city due to its position at the southern tip of the Inside Passage, which connects the Gulf of Alaska to Puget Sound. The 1930 film follows the story of Boyd Emerson, who travels to Alaska to seek his fortune hunting for gold. He and other prospector Fraser come across a small fishing village, and there they meet the woman who runs the place, Cherry Malott, along with her watchdog, fisherman George Balt. Boyd is ready to pack it in and head home, but Cherry tries to convince him to keep trying. Boyd and Fraser hang around for a while, and Cherry and Boyd strike up a friendship. Cherry has hatched a plan for Boyd to obtain a loan from a Seattle bank to start up a salmon fishery and canning company. All seems to be going smoothly until Boyd's fiancé's father, and the man he'd rather she marry, a rival cannery operator, Fred Marsh, gets scheming to crush any competition in the area. Unbeknownst to Boyd, Cherry has a dark past and is well known by the banker Tom Hilliard. She works behind Boyd's back and comes to his rescue and convinces Tom to approve the loan. Now it's up to Boyd, Bolt, and the Salmon, and whether or not the startup company can fight off Marsh's men. Will Cherry's past, as well as her secret love for Boyd, mean even more trouble? Joel McRae's career spanned a wide variety of genres over almost over almost five decades, including comedy, drama, romance, thrillers, and adventures, but it's the westerns that he became best known for. With only a few exceptions, McRae appeared in westerns, film, westerns exclusively from 1946 until his retirement in 1976. At six foot two and a half, McRae worked as an extra, a stuntman, and a bit player from 1927 to 1928 when he then signed a contract with MGM. He was cast in a major role in The Jazz Age, 1929, and got his first leading role that same year in The Silver Horde. So that's interesting. This it film is. It was, is his first big uh, break. He moved to RKO shortly after where he established himself as a versatile leading man, capable of starring in both dramas and comedies. McRae starred in the controversial pre-code film Bird of Paradise in 32, directed by King Vidor. Along, alongside uh, Dolores Del Rio, who was the subject of said controversy. In one scene, it appears she is swimming in the nude. This film has come up as a possible subject of the show, so I'll leave it at that for this episode. McRae uh, reached the peak of his early career in the 1940s with, with popular and critically acclaimed parts in Hip, Alfred Hitchcock's thriller Ford and Correspondent, a romantic comedy The More the Merrier, and two comedies by Preston Sturgis, Sullivan's Travels and The Palm Beach Story. While shooting Sullivan's Travels, it was an on-set joke that tall McRae's leading lady, Veronica Lake, had to stand on a box for some shots as she was reportedly 16 inches shorter than McRae, oh, wow. <laughs> and it, it was otherwise impossible to get both their heads in the same shot. <laughs> McRae turned down playing in a number of films. He was offered the lead role in The Postman Always Rings Twice, but he refused, refused saying this character is too much of a gigolo. I don't like his moral standards. Other films he turned down including, included Spitfire in 34, The Impatient Years in uh, 1944, 
and Intruder in the Dust in 1949, and the story of Will Rogers in 1952. Interesting. During World War II, McRae refused to portray military heroes with the explanation, since I was too old to be called, I was too old for that kind of show. He was notoriously modest about his acting abilities and would say that he didn't feel good enough to play certain parts. Despite his own opinion of his acting, Catherine Hepburn reportedly said that he was one of the best actors with whom she had worked. She believed McRae should have been ranked alongside Spencer Tracy or Humphrey Bogart. That's a, that's a really big compliment coming from her. <laughs> Absolutely. Jean Arthur began her career in the silence as well and worked into the 1950s. She was discovered by Fox Film Studios while she was doing commercial modeling in New York City in the early 1920s. She landed a one-year contract and debuted in the silent film Cameo Kirby in 1923, which was directed by John Ford. Following a small role, she received her first female lead role in The Temple of Venus, a plotless tale about a group of dancing nymphs. <laughs> but dissatisfied with her lack of acting talent, the film's director, Henry Otto, replaced Arthur, which actress Mary Philbin, during the third day of shooting. Arthur actually agreed with the director. She says, There wasn't a spark from within. I was acting like a mechanical doll. <laughs> Arthur was planning on leaving the California film industry for good, but stayed due to her contract and appeared in some comedy shorts. Change came when she showed up at the lot of Action Pictures, which produced B-Westerns, and impressed its owner, Lester F. Scott Jr. He decided to take a chance on a complete unknown, and she ended up being cast in over 20 Westerns over a two-year period. These films only paid about $25 a film and were shot under very rough conditions, being out in the desert and under the scorching sun, and provided little recognition for Arthur. It was in 1927 that Arthur attracted more attention when she appeared opposite Mae Bush and Charles Delaney as, gold digging cor- as a gold-digging chorus girl and Husband Hunters. She was romanced by actor Monty Banks in Horseshoes in 1927, and both were commercial and cr- critical success, as well as paying her about $700. She transitioned into talkies, albeit slowly, She, like many silent stars, thought the popularity of sound picture was just a phase. When she realized that they were here to stay, she worked with a voice coach to help develop her distinctive voice, as well as taking some stage training on Broadway. Arthur received her best role to date opposite Clara Bow in the early sound film The Saturday Night Kid in 1929. Of the two female leads, Arthur was thought to have the better part, and director Edward Sutherland claimed that Arthur was so good that he had to cut and cut to keep her from stealing the picture from <laughs> Bo. Her popularity was perhaps at its highest in the mid-1930s when she had feature roles in three Frank Capper films, Mr. Deed Goes to Town with Gary Cooper, You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, co-starring Jimmy Stewart. And she also co-starred with Cary Grant in the adventure drama Only Angels Have Wings in 1939. Arthur was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance in 1943's The More the Merrier, a comedy which also starred Joel McRae. Interesting. Now, Evelyn Brent was born Mary Elizabeth Briggs, and her early career, she worked under that name at a New Jersey film studio, and her major debut in the silent film, The Shooting of Dan McCrew. She soon changed her name to Evelyn Brent as she continued working in film. 
After World War I, she traveled to Europe on vacation, but managed to meet American playwright Oliver Cromwell, who, who urged her to take a role in a play on the London stage, The Ruined Lady. She would spend four years in England working on stage and in films before moving to Hollywood in 1922. Brent made more than two dozen silent films and made her first sound picture opposite William Powell in 1928's Interference. Through most of the 1930s, she was working in a variety of films as well as touring with vaudeville shows. By 41, she was no longer in demand by major studios, and she found work at smaller, low-budget studios. She retired from acting in 1950 and worked for a number of years as an acting agent. She returned to acting for one last role on television in 1960 for an episode of Wagon Train. It was in that year that she was inducted into and received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for her contributions to the film industry. And real quickly, because I actually didn't look him up until just before we sat down, because I was writing all this kind of stuff before I actually... um, before I actually watched the film, but I definitely need to mention about uh, Louis Wolheim. Yes. <laughs> Actor of both stage and screen, his physical appearance relegated him to roles mostly of thugs and villains in movies. His nearly trademarked nose was a result of an injury during a football game while attending Cornell University. He had it seen by medical professionals, but later that same day, he got into a fight which resulted in more damage to his face. Oh, no. The bulk of his career was during the silent era due to his untimely death in 1931, but he did appear in several talkies, including All Quiet on the Western Front, Danger Lights, and, of course, The Silver Silver Horde. According to the biography included in the DVD version of All Quiet on the Western Front, Wolheim wanted at one point in his career to play romantic leads instead of tough heavies, so he actually sought to have plastic surgery performed to fix his broken nose. Executives at United Artists actually obtained a restraining order against him from doing so. Oh my goodness. He was preparing to appear in the film The Front Page, which was a subject of our show many years ago, uh, in a role that would eventually go to Adolf Menju when Wolheim died. He'd been losing drastic amounts of weight for the role, and news accounts from that time attributed his death to that. However, modern sources attribute his death to stomach cancer. Very unfortunate. I really think he was like the, the standout uh, character in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and one other character, which are which is barely on the screen, are definitely, I think, the standout ones. Yeah, good. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I had to actually ch- check and see if he was the uh, the same big guy that was in Algiers. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, such a great movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, very kind of similar characters. But yeah, he ended up being just so much fun in this in this film. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's all the background information and everything that I had. We can start to jump right into uh, actually dis- discussing the film. I think both of us were a little surprised at what this film was because depending on where you find the film, the synopsis is everything from a guy goes to strike his fortune in the salmon industry to a guy has to choose between a debutante and a, uh, a, a, a rough wilderness gal to, I mean. Oh, okay. So I want to read a couple of the, the contemporary taglines yeah, for this please. movie. Crashing through the ice locked gates of the North, trekking across snow trails. 
Okay, that's one. Next one. Rex. <laughs> what beach- does that tell us? Nothing. <laughs> wait, wait, wait for it. It gets better. Rex Beach's soul-staggering panorama of drama spread over ice-locked regions of wild Northlands. Mighty story to inflame the emotions of a world. Okay, here's another one. Uh. One woman in a land of men. <laughs> and here's the last one, which is probably the most accurate. Rex Beach's sledge-fisted romance of the great Alaskan salmon run. Now, all four of those sound like completely different movies. And I was not prepared for this movie to be the last one of those. Really, if, if they had taken the footage of this movie and said, here's a documentary about the Alaskan salmon run in the 1930s and how it's canned, that pretty much would sum it up. Oh, yeah, and we threw some romance in, too. Yes. <laughs> like, but I love it's like crashing through the ice lock gates of the north. Yeah, in the first 30 seconds. Right. Like, there's, no, this is the pan- the staggering panorama of drama spread over ice-locked regions. What movie did these people watch? Because <laughs> it wasn't this one. You really expect more of this film to take place in the wildernesses of Alaska. Yes. And, so and I, it, oh, it takes place in a small town street. <laughs> and in uh, in some very, very nice upscale San Francisco parlors and dance halls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, going into this, I'm always careful not to expose myself too much to any marketing or anything going into a movie because I kind of want to be surprised by it. Going into this movie, I thought, and, and this was right up until maybe halfway through the movie, actually, I thought this movie was about a silver hoard. <laughs> <laughs> I kept waiting for him to strike silver and it starts off with the whole dog sled scene and you know these two guys coming into this small town genuinely straight out of Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> and it, so there you go you guys know my fandom uh, but no so it, and it, it looks just like it should be the late 1890s or the 1880s and you know of course they're all you know dressed up in fur and then they go inside this building Eventually, they meet this lady and she's in a slinky 1920s dress. And I thought, man, the costuming on this is horrible. (laughs) That was genuinely what I thought. I thought they didn't put any effort into making this guy look like he's not wearing a suit from the 1920s, 1930s. It took me a little bit to catch on. (laughs) So when I finally understood, oh, no, this really is people that are actually trying to catch fish. I thought, huh. I think I'm kind of disappointed. I was really hoping for some good old fashioned, you know, gold mine, silver mine rustling going on. And and there is none. Get fish wrestling. Fish fish wrestling. Yeah. And there's some actual fish wrestling, too. And also some fish slapping and also some fish dumping. Yeah. (laughs) It's a... Yeah, so not the movie I was expecting for sure, even without having read any of those taglines ahead of time. I think I would have, if I had been in the 1930s, gone into a theater, having seen those taglines, the first three, I would have been, I mean, I suppose I would have been thrilled because I was in a movie in 19, I was sitting in a movie in 1930 and times were tough, but I just, I just still am am reeling just a little bit. I, I suppose I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but I... I suppose this, I keep thinking, how was this movie made? I suppose it was made because there was a popular book first. And so that in mind, now we can move on past Lydia's little monologue. (laughs) I I think this is definitely where the book goes into a lot more 
about the actual fishing industry and life surrounding the fishing of, of salmon in Alaska mm-hmm. because and, and I'm guessing that the romance is second place if there's any at all yes yeah that would be <laughs> I would not be surprised well. if you picked up this book and it's literally like no women in it whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me at all <laughs> right uh, yeah and they were kind of added <laughs> added in for the for the film yeah exactly the token women to make you know the, the story interesting <laughs> it's called the silver horde and it's all about the uh, and you, you read a little bit on wiki and it's talking about all the silver horde in reference to the the age aging uh, fishermen that went to alaska to try to strike their fortune one last time and that also has nothing to do with this film. I was no. expecting, I, I kind of, I read that little bit and went, oh, okay, this is about maybe a, an older guy who was trying to, you know, no, this is this is a young guy, has nothing to do with him trying to, like, one last, no, he was out looking for, it was a young guy trying to pan for gold somewhere in Alaska. And couldn't make it. <laughs> and couldn't make it, couldn't find any, was ready to give up. Been having a tough time, mister? I guess they've been kicking you around, haven't they? Feel like talking about it? There's nothing much to talk about. I thought I could beat this North Country and it beat me. That's all. Gold mining? It's a tough game. But stay with it. You'll get a break. I've had breaks. The wrong kind. Two years of breaks. I've had enough. It's tough. But there's something more to life than rolling up a pile of money. Oh, I know. It sounds like something out of a copybook. But there's something bigger than finding a gold mine. And that's finding yourself. Well, I'd need a guide to find even myself. You've got some pretty good guides in this country, mister. Oh, it isn't so easy to quit. Quitting can be harder than hanging on. But I'm through. Don't say that. I don't believe it. You're just tired. Things will look brighter in the morning. Brace up, mister. I'll be just as broke in the morning. Well, so this is, it's not that this isn't an interesting storyline. It's a somewhat interesting storyline. It meanders before it gets to it, though. And then in the middle, it meanders a little bit more. Yes. (laughs) And and so I think, you know, there are some interesting characters in here. Pretty early on, obviously, we've already talked about him meeting George Balt, played by Louis Wolheim, who is... (laughs) <laughs> the the thick scold sidekick of Cherry Malott, um, who is you know one of those ladies of the evening of the Northern Alaska frontier, I suppose is Former. what we can call her. Former lady of the evening in a really nice house, by the way. She really does have a really nice place. Considering all the other houses in town are one room shacks, she's right. living it up here. She's actually in a house. Yeah, she's it's, in, it's with rooms. Nice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a piano. I ser- uh, bear in mind, I'm still thinking this is supposed to be like the 1880s gold rush kind of thing, and I'm going, how did they get a piano into Alaska? Okay, well, no, it was the 1920s, 1930s, so it makes a little bit more sense. But still, a piano. In Al- is going to cost so much money to get to Alaska. And think of the tuning charges. <laughs> yeah, she obviously had uh, some good breaks in her life. I mean, she apparently, what money she earned at the at the profession, Yes. she apparently in- invested and... Uh, in a copper even, mine, presumably. And you, yeah, you get, you get hints that she was uh, well diversified. You know, not only was she... In, you know, trying to run a fishing village or whatever. She had mines as, mm-hmm. at somewhere in Alaska as well. Mm-hmm. So and we just hear about a copper mine, but 
she could have other uh, investments as well. Yeah, frankly, I would have, I think I would have really enjoyed this movie to have been about her. This is an intelligent woman. She she fought hard to get somewhere in the world. Now, bearing in mind, this is pre-code, so she's allowed to be a little bit of a, the good guy as well as be have a little bit of a shady past. But like you're saying, she's got all of this that she's built up and she's just she's just interesting and then she's kind as well which Mm -hmm. is a really big deal everybody else in this town is literally turning these men who are off you know first just off the trail probably starving definitely exhausted just slamming the doors in their faces and she's the one that takes them in so i would love to have seen more of i would love this story to have been about her instead of about yeah, this young guy that's flailing in life and, you know, has two women after him. I'd actually like to see, um, I'd like to actually see sort of a prequel, oh, which yeah. would be her up and coming and how her, you know, how she manages to acquire the things that she has and to leave the profession and all that. I, I think yeah. that would be fascinating compared I'll, I'll to add it to my book ideas list <laughs> <laughs> the cherry malat story <laughs> yes please do <laughs> gotta have gotta have the the chapter of queenie in there somewhere but and queenie comes in much later but she is my other favorite character in this oh okay she I, there, she's got two very brief well, three i suppose very brief scenes in this and there just are a couple of moments where she like there's one moment where she just opens her mouth to say something and cherry just says don't you dare <laughs> and the look on queenie's face is so good i was just like i want to i want to hang out with this drunken lady she's she's really funny um yeah. There's a there's a few real standout moments in this film. Um, mm. They're 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 peppered throughout the film. There is like you said, you kind of have to work your way through some stuff. It, the mm. film meanders. I, I think there's some super powerful moments towards the end, mm-hmm. but also towards the towards the beginning and in the middle, there's some stuff just peppered that it was just wow. That little bit right there was a really good direction or some really good writing. Uh, mm-hmm. When she sends uh she sends Boyd Fraser and Balt to Seattle to procure the loan and she's at the door and uh, her how uh, does the the name in here? She's not. So this is something else that was interesting to me. There is um a, a oh, name no, no, she has a name and I'm sorry. I I was looking to see if it was, if I could find it in the credit and I I don't. But she the the woman passes by and she's like, huh? Yeah, yeah. She has a name, but she's not in the credits, which was really right. interesting to me. She's a, apparently and actually a native lady. Well, mm-hmm. gosh, I don't know where they filmed this. That's making a huge assumption on my part. But she looks like she's uh, Inuit is what mm-hmm. it looks like. And her name sounds very, I suppose this is, again, something. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a name that I didn't recognize. So I think she's meant to be like an Inuit woman. Oh no, absolutely. But she she passes by and she she uh Cherry just me- mentions to her she's like I think I'm being foolish. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> then it che- but the the really great is Cherry just sort of nods and then she gets that look like wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I think there aren't I can't I'm hard pressed to think of any scenes with Cherry in this movie where you're not like, "Oh, She's really interesting. Like, I, I can't think of a single scene with her in it where I got bored. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, so we not, so once she sends, um, 
Balt and Boyd, Balt and Boyd, Balt and Boyd <laughs> yes. off to uh, San Francisco. Then Seattle. we meet to Seattle. Thank you to Seattle. We meet Mildred, who is Boyd's, I suppose, fiance. They're technically aff- affianced, and immediately she's just awful. <laughs> she's just immediately just the worst. It's romantic, of course, but you can't really marry him, dear girl. Emerson is still a pauper. You're just being one of these fussy, old-fashioned fathers. Alas, I'm afraid it's the fate of fathers to seem old-fashioned and fussy. Boyd's not after my money. More's a pity. And we could be happy without a penny. You don't really believe that, old girl, do you? Well, no, to be entirely truthful. You're used to pennies. You're spoiled, my precious lamb, and downright selfish. It's because you want me to marry Freddy, isn't it, old boy? Well, to be entirely truthful. I won't, do you hear? I won't marry Freddy. I don't care if he is your friend. I come, tell you come now, comfort of my declining years. But she's meant to be the worst. She's good at being the worst. And so she's just this kind of spoiled brat that will do anything she can to irritate her father, I guess. And even though I immediately didn't care for her and I can't, I can't tell you whether I like Jean Arthur as an actor or not. Only that she, in this movie, I didn't care for her. But, um, but even her parts when she's on screen, you're kind of captivated by the story that's going on. And and. And I feel like very quickly this is going to sound like I don't think Joel McRae is a good actor. That's not the case at all. I think I think the three main characters in this each are very engaging while they're on screen. But the story is so... A meander is the right word. It's so meandering that you kind of get to a point... And it, it's not a terribly long movie... But it definitely feels like it kind of wanders all over the place. It doesn't. It doesn't hit like timing wise for me. Mm-hmm. So, so now we've met Mildred. <laughs> so we met Boyd. We met Cherry. We met Mildred. And now we know that there's this, this kind of romance going on between the three of them. But I still don't feel like I'm like really care. <laughs> the film is actually. Um... It, the film actually feels like a collection of uh, vignettes tied mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's chopped up by kind of drawn out scenes of the salmon are coming. Yeah. <laughs> Saddle up, boys, the salmon are coming. <laughs> and, oh, look at these. It, it, it feels so much like they really wanted to do a documentary on the salmon trade. And they just felt like it wouldn't sell. So they just randomly threw these interactions in together and it feels like no offense to anybody who's currently engaged in the salmon trade the opinions of the people in this podcast are not reflective of the podcast in general But, (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's almost like wow could you come up with a more boring backstory to put all this up against you you kind of agree with uh, Fraser's opinion that it seems like a lot of trouble for a bunch of canned salmon. <laughs> it really does. Not not only that, and I understand, you know, this is a, a it, there's so much money in fishing, even today. It's, of course, it's the reason that there's so much controversy about all kinds of fishing, but um, is that there's a lot of money in it and a lot of, anyway, moving on. 
it's still, there are so many other things that this could have been set against that would be infinitely more interesting. And I think almost part of the problem for me is that, and I feel like I'm already getting to the wrap on this po on this episode. I don't, we're not there yet, but you're led into this whole story with a series of what are marketed as sweeping panoramic views, but are very gritty and grainy. There aren't really great, clear versions of this movie out there at all. And so when it's showing, at one point it says, finally it arrives, the silver horde, the salmon, and it's got a shot of the water. And you can tell that there's stuff moving in the water and you can tell that it's water. But you, it's not like now. It's not like, you know, you don't have 4K close-ups of the fish. It's just some things kind of moving around on the screen and not a lot of good... Um, contrast and so it it makes it hard to be excited about it also i think the thing for me and i'm working i'm talking myself into this guys bear with me i think the thing that just never clicks for me is that none of these people are passionate about salmon they're just there <laughs> they're not like they're ends to the mean they're they're a means to the ends I, the, they're they're there to make a buck off of them and that's it it is they're and they're not like oh i love salmon and they're not like my father was a, you know, this, and I'm going to become that. There's no reason for there to be this. It's just money. There's no reason for there to be so much drama surrounding this. There's, there's Balt who, you know, Balt. claims to have the best fishing spot in Alaska, and you know, he that that's what he does. He's he's a fisherman. He sure, but but he also is not one of the key elements of this story as well, much no. as we like him and as entertaining as he is this movie would be the same movie without him right he's sort of um, a little bit of a uh, almost comedy relief yes. in, in, in many places yeah he uh, both he and um fraser and fraser yeah, yeah are both fraser fraser yeah. <laughs> it's like a razor uh but yeah both balton fraser are their comic relief in this just like queenie is there's actually it's interesting how many people are comic relief in this movie some some work better for me than others i i talk about someone you could dump it's fraser i feel like yeah yes it he felt like it when when we watch those movies where there's uh for some in this inexplicable reason, there is like some popular comedian of the time put in the film. That's what he felt like in he does. this. He does. Is he not? I just assumed he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, is that? I'm not being sarcastic. I really did just no, kind of assume. He was just a film actor. He appeared in over 500 films. That is unbelievable. Over his that's an incredible number. Yeah. That's just amazing. I, I that's got to be the highest number that we've seen so far. And but so he, he got his start in vaudeville, and I feel like he never truly left vaudeville. <laughs> I I 100% agree. I feel like that's the the vibe that we get off him in this movie. So yeah, there it's. I feel like the author of this book was super passionate about salmon, and nobody else was. <laughs> but they were like it almost feels like you know when when an author sells rights for a movie and then they say but only if you you know like Michael Crichton says I get a consult and you know they let him because he's Michael Crichton and in this case it feels like they were like hey we want to make this book into a movie and he was like okay but you have to show some real salmon fisheries and they were like 
okay. And then it just never quite clicks in. So, yeah, there's maybe I admit it's possible. I just don't understand salmon as well as I should. But I still I have a hard time buying this deep, you know, conflict between these two men that are supposed to be trying to become the salmon well, kings. Of I, I think you, you, you got to look at the salmon as you, you wanted like a gold or silver mine. I'm, it would have been the same thing. You know, if it was just, it's, it's two groups competing for the same. But it's not, is it? Because gold is hard to find. <laughs> And salmon literally swim into your net. I mean, not exaggerating. Bears can catch them. Bears, okay? You don't have to be, like, terribly skilled fishermen. Now, I'm not saying bears aren't skilled. They got their own stuff going. But this, yeah, it's not like gold or silver because they come every year. You can make millions on them every year and they don't run out. Well, I mean, they're starting to run out now, but right. at that point, they don't run out, right? So, yeah, I get, maybe, again, like I said, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Maybe I just don't understand Sam as well as I should. Yeah, this is this is not the deadliest catch. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not even, what's the one where they stick their hand down and get the catfish? Catfishing, that's what it's called, where you stick your hand in the mud and get the catfish to bite your arm and you pull the catfish out still on your arm. This is not that. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's actual catfishing, for, by the way, kids, not the other meaning of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this movie is... If it were what it were advertised as, I I was excited for it to be this Alaska Gold Rush, well, Silver Rush movie. And honestly, all of these characters work really well for me in that context. But somehow it just falls, it just kind of falls flat for me. There's just not enough tension in the background for it now there are some really there's some nice moments in here um balt has kind of a nemesis that he has to fist fight every year for the rights to you know hire his crew to do the salmon fishing that's pretty entertaining how do you like my gang huh all college men ain't they by golly we don't want no sissies in this gang He's the boss. You don't tell me. I thought he was the music teacher. Spencer's a pretty good scrapper. Only he weakened. It's all right for the first hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. But after that, he gets tired. Just a bit quitter, huh? That's why I lick him every spring. Is it a habit? You two guys fighting every year? Gotta lick him, otherwise the men won't work for me. That's the rule of the fishing gang. They only take orders from the best scrapper. Eh? Oh. Ah, Spencer. By golly, that was a good fight we have. You licked me plenty. And I can do it again, you monkey-faced buttonhead. Next time I think I lick you. <laughs> I got it. You are getting to be a dude. Dude, huh? 
Listen, you pig-eyed potwalloper. My friend, just saying you looked so ladylike, he thought you played one of them, uh, 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 mandolin. Who said that? <laughs> no, I didn't now. No, I didn't mix now, boss. No, I didn't listen. Get back on your job, you big pig. Get my two back up there. And stay there. I think maybe Svensson is his name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and then there's a moment where Boyd says, no, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to run this fishery, which, by the way, did or did not Evelyn say, oh, sorry, Cherry, did or did not Cherry say to Balt, here is your new partner, Boyd, right. not here is your new boss, Boyd. Yeah. But then from the moment that they get started, it's like Boyd is just by default the boss. Yep. Yeah, it is. That is. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're you're right. There was no reason for Boyd to fight Svensson, except for it was Joel McRae, and they wanted to make the the young, attractive yeah. man be the main character. And when the two men uh, face off against each other and they mm-hmm. take their shirts off, I'm looking at the two. My money's going on Svensson. <laughs> <laughs> he was a brick of a man. <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, yes, mine is too. No, I'm just joking, though. Yeah, no, I, it uh, definitely possible. But the other thing that bothers me it, it, to that point is that Balt, when he tells Balt, no, I'm going to do the fighting myself, Balt goes, well, no, I wait a minute. And he pats him down and he goes, good hard muscle, good strong arms. Maybe I can teach you how to fight before tonight. And we don't see that. I mean... Svensson's been fighting Balt every year for this, right? He's, right. <laughs> and so it, this is, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe if they'd done a training montage, I would have felt a little more strongly about it. But. Well, actually, <laughs> that leads to probably one of my biggest issues with this film is how much happens that's important to the plot happens off screen. Mm-hmm. Cherry and Boyd's budding friendship and and potential romance off screen. Uh, Maybe I can teach you a few things off Off screen. screen. Yeah. Uh, All this stuff. Um, No, uh, Mildred says, oh, how how dare you attack uh, Marsh's men? You attacked him and all the men. Marsh told me everything off screen. Yes, yes. (laughs) All the key moments are being not shown you're exactly yes. right i hadn't thought of that but you're exactly right this this entire film is reactionary <laughs> to something that we don't see it is it it absolutely is I, even, i'm amazed i'm amazed we actually saw them catching the salmon <laughs> well that's why everything else was cut was so we could see the salmon <laughs> they're like the very beginning of the movie we learn that boyd and fraser are traveling together because Fraser was like almost dead on the side of the trail. Yeah. Why didn't they show that? Like show yeah. that. Cherry and Boyd run around together in the snow for 10 days. They say, we've been here for 10 days already. You don't see any of it. You just see him saying goodbye. And then Boyd just randomly kisses her. Just like my high school boyfriend. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, what? As I, as he's leaving, right? As he's mm-hmm. leaving, he's like, oh, Yeah. Better kiss you. It's my last chance. Oh, you. So, <laughs> it's just oh, all of those. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you with way more words than I need to. I, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes it frustrating because, like you said, the characters in this film at 
times you're really drawn to and you're interested and they have some great scenes together. They have some great lines. There's some great dialogue between them. Um, Cherry has some fantastic monologues, especially towards the end. She's Mm -hmm. amazing. And you feel, you feel disappointed that it's all in this film. Mm -hmm. You want to pick up this entire cast and put them in some other movie. Something better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this movie does do one thing that I've never seen in any movie before. I feel like I have to point this out. There is, somewhat close to the end of this movie, a fishing boat brawl. First of yeah. all, it's a it's an actual traffic jam of fishing boats. And then people are just jumping from one boat to the other to just wail on each other. Now, I'm torn because I, I sort of half hope this is a real thing that happens. <laughs> and I also think <laughs> this is how you damage millions of dollars in boats. But <laughs> and, it, and kill people. It's, it, and kill people. It's, it's still it's, Alaska. It's the water true. has got, even in the spring, that water has got Probably. to be I actually thought that too. How, how long until you get a hypothermia, right? Right. But it is a really entertaining scene. And I have, I gotta say, I think it's probably the most entertaining scene in the whole movie. <laughs> Way, way more interesting than the fist fight or even the romantics. Now, I, and that's probably a little bit unfair, but I, I love a good romance scene. And I just, God, I'm struggling to like anything about this movie. But, oh, gosh. Well, I mean, because there isn't truly any good romance scenes in the film. No. Because, as I said, they're off screen. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of longing scenes. We got Cherry looking longingly at Boyd, and you've got Boyd looking longingly at Mildred. You got Mildred looking longingly at anybody's pocketbooks. But you pretty much, yeah, you don't have any actually really good romance in there. Also, what is the deal with Fred Marsh? Explain this to me. <laughs> he has a lot of money. Yeah, he's got and a he's successful after, cannery, and he's after Mildred. Yes. And he already has a secret relationship with somebody else that I won't disclose because it comes out at the very end of the movie. I am really confused. (laughs) It feels like they were just like, how do we make a bad guy? Okay, well, we're just going to take him and we're going to cram him into the storyline however we can. Mm -hmm. So, Well, (sighs) it's a very convenient bad guy, too. Uh, Boyd is traveling through Alaska trying to strike it rich with gold. (laughs) He's working his way. I'm assuming he's working his way back down to this to uh, the continental U.S. That's how he gets to this town, which just so happens to be the home of Fred Marsh's cannery, mm-hmm. who just happens to be the man that's trying to you know who's friends with the uh, with Mildred's, Mildred's dad, yeah, and wants to marry Mildred. I'm like, wow, there that what are the chances that's a, that's a coincidence that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what that that's a coincidence yeah it, it's yeah i feel like i can keep saying it over and over but there's just a lot in this movie that doesn't work for me there and it and it is frustrating because there are as you said moments in this movie that work really well and uh and it's too bad that they're all in the same movie together yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you talked about the uh, the fish, the fishing boat brawl. That I think is is a really great scene. But I almost feel like the only reason it's there is to make us really dislike the Waylands and Marsh even more. Yes, because Wayland happens to putter up in his yacht at the at that time, along <laughs> with uh, 
uh, Mildred's on the boat, and oh, wonder what's going on. Ho oh, oh, ho, those ruffians. Yeah. Oh. Oh, maybe, oh, here comes here comes Fred. He'll maybe explain. he can explain. Yeah. yeah. It's. But it they, is. They, the way they talk to him, and they're like, oh wow, this is the, the the entire reason this scene is here is to really show how out of touch with like. <laughs> the rest of the world the <laughs> Waylands are. Yeah, it really is. And it is funny because I feel like that scene in a movie that was a rough and tumble Alaskan fist fight for a, a, for a fishery, like like if it were actually a movie about some guys actually fighting over a fishery, like that scene would just be this epic climax. Mm-hmm. And if the interactions with Boyd and Cherry near the end when he finds out who what her past is were in a real romance about these, you know, these people with a, this woman, older woman, younger man engaged to this younger woman that really isn't quite right for him. I feel like those scenes would have been incredibly powerful. But since they're all just smushed together, it just all comes out very blasé. Contrivance, I think, of this is once Boyd finds out about Cherry's past, he is just live it with the, this knowledge you know and i guess i kind of have to well i guess i kind of have to spoil some things i don't know i mean is this well, wait, a film we, can we guess, really don't want to spoil i mean we can guess what her past is it's pretty obvious i, I pretty right. much said it right at the beginning no no that wasn't the part i was trying to the fact is and i'm gonna go ahead and kind of spoil this thing because I think everybody knows where it's going. If you don't, then you've probably never seen a movie before, and you should go watch this movie before before we spoil it for you. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, you know, he wakes up and decides that Cherry's the one he wants. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, as pissed off as you were when you found out about her past, I don't give these two a week. <laughs> so... Now help me remember because when he went when he goes to confront her, love that term of okay. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna ditch my 21st century attitudes and just say when he goes to confront her. When he goes to confront her about her past, he's extremely drunk. When he finds out about her past, is he extremely drunk? He's not drunk. He's exhausted from working for. 30 hours straight or something like oh, that but he, he hasn't been drunk. drinking no I, I think queenie makes the oh he looks kind of drunk does he but i think he's just exhausted because be he's just come he's just come from the cannery he's been working for like a, a day and a half straight so he's dry drunk basically yes he is so tired that he's behaving as if he's drunk or alternatively he's so drunk that he's behaving as if he's really tired <laughs> right <laughs> both the same thing okay so he's just like off his nut with exhaustion mm-hmm. oh, again i mean if it, tell me truthfully christopher let's let's do a little bit of role playing here <laughs> let's say you've been working for 30 hours straight no sleep not just working but hard labor working because this is not easy right and so you are physically exhausted who knows if you've even stopped to have something to eat and you find out the girl that you sort of have a little bit of an affection for, but you're technically engaged to somebody else, may have in her past life had some indiscrepancies and possibly even have been paid for them. Do you, A, <laughs> go to bed, B, go to your fiance and say, I just found out about this woman and dang, I feel like an idiot because you're obviously the coolest woman in the world and this other woman is horrible. Or do you see stagger however many miles away it is to her house, knock on the door and call her names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, maybe I just don't understand salmon fishing very well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think A or B would probably be a more reasonable uh, answer than C. I think most people are going to go with A or B. I think the majority of humans alive today would go with A. Because <laughs> all the rest of it will take care of itself when I've slept for like four hours. But, you know... Maybe maybe I just don't understand the salmon industry well enough. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I won't I wouldn't give them a week together as a couple because if he's that upset about her past and then he suddenly decides that he can put it behind them, I'm thinking <laughs> you can't really put it behind you. Well let's put this let's do this too. I, so I am an older woman. Y'all may not know that about me, but I am. <laughs> and let's say I'm Cherry's age. We'll take a few years off my actual age. Let's say I'm Cherry's age and, and this, you know, handsome 20-something, we're going to say he's 20-something in this movie, comes along and, you know, is, uh, first of all, I'm basically patronizing him the entire time. Well, patronizing, depending on how you want to term it. And to the point that I give, oh, a heck a ton of money to him because I just think he's a great guy. And by the way, I already know he's engaged to somebody else. He shows up on my doorstep and calls me the things he called her. And then he comes back later and says, no, no, I'm really in love with you. <laughs> so I can barely get through it because I'm laughing. Yep. No. <laughs> I think, I think if I'm her, I don't care how much I love the guy. And <clears throat> anyway, I don't care how much I love the guy. He shows up and he calls me the things he's calling her after I gave him in today's money, what would be, oh gosh, what's $200,000 from 1930 today? Uh, a, a, a crap ton of fish is what that is. <laughs> it is so much. And I get that he, I think actually it's over $3 million, by the way, people. Yeah. I, I think at that point he doesn't realize she gave him all the money. Whether or not, I think that would be my first thing to say would be, excuse me, hey, guess how you got the money? You want to you wanna talk to me about this? Let's talk about this. You want to call me names? Okay, let's have this conversation. And she doesn't. And it's, uh, it, it doesn't feel, I have a theory about movies. I think they need to be either funny or believable. To work, mm. they have to be either funny or believable. This is my personal opinion. Guys, this is copyrighted. You can't. No, no. but I do. This is genuinely, I believe, for a movie to work, it either has to be funny or it has to be believable on some level. And I think that's the thing where this isn't funny and it's also not believable. I don't. I. If Cherry responds to him the way she does by. I get her being the mature person and not immediately coming back at him. But then for her to just like, oh, boy, and be crying by herself later. She's not the person she's been built up to be throughout the rest of this movie. No, you definitely get the feeling that if this would happen to a woman like this, as strong as we've seen her, she would... Um, she not does. be so visible with even if she felt it she wouldn't show it not even privately yeah I, and I, yes we all cry in private even me guys i do too but but I, I still i still think her feelings about this are just way off the mark i personally i maybe maybe i just i'm going to say it one more time just for fun maybe i just don't understand the same industry <laughs> well enough <laughs> 
Well, and it, that's what makes it frustrating with everything happening off screen is we don't know why she's so hung uh, up on. Um, yeah. What's his name? Boyd. <laughs> on what's that? Oh, oh, I thought you were being yeah. serious. <laughs> we don't. We don't know why she's so yeah. hung up on him because we don't see how endearing he is. We don't see how uh, friendly or how funny or how kind he is. Or what those ten days were like. If they could sing in perfect harmony together, or if he really loved her showing him what trees there are in Alaska. Like you just, you're exactly, you're right. There's, we're forced to fill in so many blanks that frankly, the imagination struggles. Exactly. And I I think that's where, that's where we find her reaction unbelievable because Mm -hmm. we just, we haven't seen what her character has supposedly seen. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, show don't tell, I guess, yeah. is the moral of this story. <laughs> yeah, please do. And yeah. <laughs> as interesting as it may have been, you could show less of the canning of fish. I, it literally shows the entire canning process. We're not, we maybe exaggerate a little bit. It's not like it takes up a third of the film or something. But oh, it, it feels is a like good, it does. <laughs> it, it is at least a good five minutes or more of the entire, they probably almost 10 minutes because they, they catch it, you know, it goes up to shoot, they go through it, they behead it, they gut it, you know, the, then that the, you see the cans, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. <laughs> it could be one of those 1950s short films that they showed in school. Yes, How it to really open a, feels a like salmon that. fishery, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy's always wanted to be a salmon fisherman. Well, guess what, Jimmy? Today you get to learn how. It's it, hard work. It's yeah. hard work. Oh... <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think we've beat that dead fish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's saying, you know, so Cherry Malott, real interesting character, mm-hmm. needs to have a, a film of her own. Mm-hmm. Boyd, uh, not interesting at all. Yeah. And let's find out how she met uh, George Balt. Yeah. <laughs> let's give some backstory on him. Yeah, he likes him. He's so great. I loved him when they were in <laughs> Seattle and they got all gussied up and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's he's in the suit. First time in the big city. And Fraser makes fun of his bowler hat. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I've always wanted a hat like this. <laughs> and then during the brawl, the poor guy gets his hat all beat up. Oh, <laughs> I entirely you, missed that. Yeah. The oh, actual... you, feel so, you feel so bad for him. But I love the fact that even after he leaves Seattle, he gets back to the the town, the fishing town. He wears his hat. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So he's he's gutting fish and everything, but he's got his bowler <laughs> he's got hat. His bowler I on. loved it. He was so great. Oh man, yeah, man. So yeah, I, so those two we could see more of happily. Fred Marsh, utterly forgettable. Um, I I enjoyed. Joel McRae in this. I did. I -hmm. think he is a good actor. I think that he's engaging. I just think it's a real weak part for him. I get that it's his first part on screen. So if you're a huge Joel McRae fan, like my dad is, by the way, hi, dad, then uh, this is probably a good one to watch just to say, oh, yeah, this is kind of where he got his start. 
I would love to see some more with uh, Blanche Sweet, who plays Queenie. Something about her, I am just gripped by her. I now have to watch some more Jean Arthur to see if I really dislike her or if I just li- dislike her character. Right. This was apparently Blanche Sweet's last uh, screen role. Yeah. She, yeah, she uh, retired uh, and got married. And she, oh, I, I didn't catch that she got married, but she actually did 160-something movies. She did a, a lot and they just, I think, were all silent era. And so, so interestingly, we probably won't see her in any, anything else, but it's still, she just is one of those people that I had a minute where I thought she was um, a, uh, an older actress that is still acting, whose name I can't think of right now, but it's, it's not the same lady, but she looks a bit like her. Um, man, anybody else in here that, man, we would just love to see in something else or that anybody listening would love to see in something else? What? Just eliminate all the quote-unquote bad guys from this film. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what you have left... And yeah, you know, Joel McRae, yeah, you can see fresh talent in this film. He, he shows a lot of promise in this film. I don't think this is like the film that was going to uh, make launch or break him. Or launch yeah. <laughs> his career. Right, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he's fine. But yeah, he's surrounded by so many other powerful actors. Mm-hmm. more interesting characters and oh, absolutely and so he kind of they kind of carry him along through the film yeah yep definitely yeah I, so i think you know it comes down to probably i don't know if you would call this it's we don't know what the what decisions were made where we don't know what hit the cutting room floor we don't know if there were script cuts or if there were directors changes by directors we don't we just don't know so it's really hard to to look at it and say, man, this was just someone. A- someone had some had stock and some cannery oh and really goodness. wanted to promote the salmon that industry. That is how it sounds. <laughs> like this is like a McDonald's commercial, but in salmon, it yeah. really is. Uh, so, but it it is it is. I guess the the moral of this story is we're gonna have to watch something else written by Rex Beach, Wallace Smith. We're gonna have to watch something else directed by um, George Art. Archambault, yeah. When you said that earlier, I was like, it's not that. And then I looked up his last name again and was like, oh no, that is a bad last name to try and pronounce. Um, the, interestingly, um, if I'm not mistaken, they this writing directing pairing happened in something else that Evelyn Brent was in. If I oh, interesting. I think, but I could be mistaken, but I think so. So um, maybe maybe we could dig into that. I don't know that that's necessarily uh, outside of co- of copyright, but mm. anyway, I think I think what I've taken away from this is there are a lot of people in this that I'd like to see in something that I like more than I like this. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This film, as an entire film, leaves you wanting, mm-hmm. but there are some scenes that are just you watch and you you kind of go wow at mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, because I want an excuse to play the clip. <laughs> the scene <laughs> where Cherry, Cherry, and Mildred's toe to toe towards the end of the film. Queenie's one of my old friends from Nome. Quite a type, isn't she? Isn't she though? Have a cigarette. I want to talk with you. Well, go ahead. We both speak the same language. Just a couple of dames in love with the same fellow. Then you are in love with him. I might as well go. 
I can't use the same methods you use to hold him. Why not? Something in your book of etiquette about that, too? When I love a man, I don't need any rules. Obviously. I shouldn't have come. I might have known your sort. You don't have to put me in my place. I know about me. Just like Queenie. Only I managed to get a better break. I'm not interested in your confession. Not a confession. It's a boast. You can have Boyd Emerson for all of me. Oh, no, I can't. Boyd could never forgive me for being, well, for being Cherry Malott. Can you blame him? No, men being what they are. And women of a certain type being what they are. You don't know my sort, but I can see through you like a window. And not such a clean window at that. You listen, sister, and you like it. I love Boyd. I'm not ashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of, no matter what you think in that dirty little mind of yours. If I'd wanted to hold him that way, you'd never have seen him again. I don't want to see him again. I won't take him from you. You'll take him because you've been taking things all your life. I offered to share everything with him. Sure you have. There's a name for the man who takes that kind of money from a woman. And you lied to him. Let him believe you fixed that loan with Hilliard. You mean to tell me that he didn't know you did that and how you did it? You talk to me like that? You? Why you? Oh, don't be scared. I won't dirty my hands on you. I'm Cherry Malott. They know about me from San Francisco to Sitka. My reputation's got marks on it I couldn't rub off if I wanted to. I am what I am. I don't know how they finally settle things in this world or the next. But when the day comes, I'll stand there with my chin up and take what's coming to me. And I wouldn't trade places with you, you white-livered, sweet-smelling hypocrite, if they gave me a one-way ticket to hell! Now get out of here. I'll send him to you, and I hope you're happier than you deserve to be. Get out! But yeah, so uh, I guess we should probably go ahead and rate it. <laughs> Let's rate it. I don't think it's going to come as any surprise that it's going to go a little lower than some of the films we've <laughs> rated recently. <laughs> I actually it was a little bit of a hard one before we actually even started talking about it because the first time I watched this film, I had a pretty good idea where I was going to go. I actually enjoyed it a little bit more the second time I watched it. I'm not sure why. But I think it was just because I was enjoying just those moments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you sit down and discuss it, it is one of those cases where you think, oh, in this scene, in this scene, in this scene, but then you actually start talking about the film as a whole. You go, well, yeah, that's not good. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, my initial reaction was just, just to give it something like a three. But honestly, I think I'm going to have to drop it down to a two. Mm-hmm. There's bits. There's bits that I love. The... The idea, the fact this is pre-code, so it allows to have a former prostitute uh, be sort of like the heroine of the film Mm -hmm. and not have anything kind of bad happen to her. She kind of wins the day in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, One of your heroes gets to murder somebody without any apparent... (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yep, I was a little bit surprised by that as well. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, that's kind of like, that's, moment. oh, yeah. very satisfying. <laughs> Super satisfying. That makes the film a lot of fun and makes it feel a little bit more modern. Yeah. Um, because that kind of stuff is the, is, you know, in just a few years, 
never seen again mm-hmm. for Not a until very we get long into years, time. right? Until until um oh what's the guy called? <laughs> Deadpool. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that again until Deadpool almost. Not quite. But. <laughs> not quite. You get them below. Not probably not until you get into the seventies. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, really? Definitely. Um, I think there's at least a good forty years where you don't see a prostitute as the hero. Yeah. Come out in the end. Okay. Yeah. And then what's the movie about the guy? My dad is always talking about it. <laughs> the guy that uh, dresses up like as, as old ladies and walks around with groceries. And then when he gets mugged, he just shoots the people that mug him in the 70s. That was one of those movies in the 70s. Yeah. And it's super satisfying because. So one of the Death Wish films, maybe? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the, uh, it's not Avenger. It's like something like that. But, okay. Um, Somebody out there is screaming at their podcast right now, saying the name of the, ti- the title of the movie. Uh, we'll throw it in the show notes if we can think of it. But um, yeah, you're, there are some moments in this movie that are really gratifying. There are some moments that are funny. And so, I mean, so for me, you, you gave it a two. For me, it's a hard five. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not a hard five. It is. I agree. It's a two. I there it would be moments. a very hard five. <laughs> it would be really hard. Oh, it's because now I understand the salmon industry. <laughs> because of this movie. No, it's, uh, it would be, I have to give it a two as well. I like, because genuinely just for Cherry, I really want to give it three, but she's not enough to carry this film all on her own. There's too no. much other stuff thrown in there just in the soup. And so, yeah, man, there. We talk a lot about movies on this podcast where, oh, if they had just changed this or if they had just changed that. And this is like a standout movie in that it feels like if they had just changed everything but the characters. (laughs) Usually it's the other way. Like, this could have been so much fun if these characters had just been better cast. In this case, it's like, this could have been so much fun if these characters had been in a movie. (laughs) Yeah, just for some reason, just make Cherry like the owner of of, of, of a bar. Yeah, I, I love her as the owner of a fishery, even, but as the main character, not as right. a. Well, I was just thinking, you you, you remove the fishery idea because yeah. we don't need to see all the salmon stuff. Bring <laughs> it to Seattle, bring it to San Francisco or yeah. whatever. Have Cherry being the owner of some some bar or nightclub. Mm-hmm. Uh, Balt could be her uh, her the bouncer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then just have a a, a movie about. A, a little bit of a love triangle or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe. Um, yeah, no, this totally works is a society story yes. but where she is just that, you know, that questionable woman. I, I love even, even with these same three actors and these three same characters in that situation, I really love the idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. I th- I just, I just keep, oh. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating, isn't it? It is. It is so frustrating because you literally could take this, these three characters and put them in almost any other situation and it works. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really, really frustrating. It is really because frustrating. You, you, because of the characters, you want to like the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it's so backwards. Usually it's the other way around. So, yeah. so this is fun. This is, this is an anomaly for us. So uh, exciting to have found one. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for the Silver Horde. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go get me a nice uh, bag of salmon. and. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going to open up a tin. I've got like three or four in, you know, 
just in this drawer right here. For research purposes, right? <laughs> research, because I needed to understand yeah. the salmon industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh. yeah. <laughs> All right. We will be back in a month with another film, hopefully less fishy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I think we were talking about maybe doing some film noir next time, so that could be fun. Absolutely. That would be very interesting. Uh, we'll be back then. Uh, Lydia, thank you very much. You know, it had to ha- we we've had some really good highs. We have to have our lows. <laughs> yeah, for contrast. You just have to have exactly. them for contrast. <laughs> exactly. All right. That's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. Bye. Bye.